Good morning, Dorisville. Well, our cups are full, amen. What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship. The children coming forward, those are boxes, by the way, again, that they put together during the Sunday school hour and the young adult Sunday school class. And then this wonderful testimony song, the special, God is good, amen. And, you know, really, I'm going to say something. I really pray that if you're here today, that there will be something, I've already said this to one person, really something individual and particular for you that you can take home today from God. Uh, He'll give you something special just for you today, a word, a song, the testimony, whatever it might have been for you today, and with the assurance that He loves you so very, very much. Well, as you saw in the video, we're in the midst of a series that we've entitled Strange Thanksgivings. And knowing families, you've probably been a part of some strange Thanksgivings. But really, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about more with God and how that God does some really different things sometimes. And we find the ability to say thank you even when God does a crazy Ivan when we're going right and he seems to go left or we're following him and all of a sudden he takes a sharp left turn. It, it's, God does some incredibly amazing things. And when we can learn to trust him and thank him for those things, it really becomes quite incredible. Now, the first week we talked about three important things. And I really hope that this will be a takeaway for you. It's pretty easy. It's three words. And I hope that these will become a part of your life. Because we learned that day, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that this is one of the will, part of the will of God... For us, that we be joyful, we be prayerful, and we be thankful. Would you say those three, men, please? We are to be joyful, we are to be prayerful, and we are to be thankful. Very, very important things in our life because it is the will of God. Hey, as we journey here, if we allow joy to fill our lives and joy is not controlled by circumstances, that's a game changer. When we learn not to just pray um, over our meals or perhaps to pray once a week or to pray every even day, every day in our quiet prayer closets. When we learn as we journey and for short, simple, powerful prayers, as God brings names to our mind, as God brings circumstances to our life, just simply learn to pray sometimes out loud, sometimes whispered and sometimes in our hearts. But as we journey, we become a people of prayer. And perhaps most important, and I think probably we address this very, very loudly today, is the idea of being thankful in all circumstances. You know, again, as you saw the testimonies, every one of those cards represent a very difficult circumstance. And yet those people, when they said God is able, are saying to God, God, this was hard, but you were faithful, and I'm grateful that you are faithful in that circumstance. So, so that's what we want to look at. Now, today's sermon title is No Gratitude. I was so looking forward to Four Guys, Burgers, and Fries, and I found out I was enamored with the title, but that was not what God wanted scripture-wise. So we had to change, and I changed the total scripture and everything, but to no, no gratitude. Now, K-N-O-W gratitude is something we need to learn to do. In America, again, as you heard with Amanda and Operation Christmas Child, we have so much that we have a tendency either A, not to be filled with gratitude, or B, not to express gratitude. And really that's next week, so we won't go any further than that. But we should be a people that know uh, gratitude, and that's by experience. That's not like a head knowledge. Oh, yeah, I know what it means to be grateful. It's the idea, it is the thought that we actually, by experience, know gratitude. But then there's that middle part, the part I capitalize. The other word that's pronounced no 
And that is N-O, no gratitude. And I don't mean like I'm ungrateful. I mean, is it possible? Is it possible to be grateful for God when he seems to say no? Is it possible to be grateful to God even when he says no? Now, let me, let me once again give this disclaimer because we live in a country where the, the gospel, as it is taught in so many pulpits, is that we serve a yes God. It's yes to everything. Doesn't matter if it's in his will or not. All we got to do is ask for it. And God's answer is yes. Well, sometimes his answer is no. And what that leads to, when we have that yes gospel, regardless of his wisdom, regardless of his plan, regardless of his will, when everything we expect to be yes from God, that leads to a gospel of disappointment. There leads to, that's a lot of people walking around going, I, I tried this God and he failed me miserably. I tried this God and he didn't show up. I, I tried this God and I prayed and he didn't answer. And, and again, God is God. God is God, and he is faithful, and he's true. He's faithful, he's good, he can be trusted. But we have to understand he is God, and we are not. So what do you do then when God says no? And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and if you've got your sermon sheet, we're going to go ahead and jump in the middle of the Scripture because that's really where the teaching was, and I wanted to try to be obedient. So that's where the Scripture was we wanted to talk about. But you do need just a little bit of background. What has happened was, you know, we think of Paul as a rock star, you know, in the church. That's a common term. When someone's very famous and and seems to have it all together, we say, oh, they're a rock star. Well, you know, Paul's life, I don't think we get this. Because all we know about Paul is he wrote so much of the New Testament, Paul's life was very difficult. From From the time he said yes to Jesus and no to Judaism, his life was hard. He went from being powerful and prestigious in in that community to being hated by that community. He lost all power, really, in that community. Uh, They tried to beat him. They tried to kill him. You name it, shipwrecks. Even when he followed God, like we're going to see today, even following God was very expensive for him. It was very costly for him. So so we don't think that Paul had it all together because we're going to see that he necessarily had it together. Don't think because, again, when you're obedient to God, life is easy because sometimes it does get harder. So, so what had happened was Paul was constantly challenged because he trusted Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection. He was really disrespected by a lot of people. You know, a lot of false teachers attacked Paul because they didn't believe he was a true apostle. And so in the, in the church of Corinth, where this letter is taken from, in the church of Corinth, there were false teachers who were saying, Paul's not a true apostle. Paul's not a true apostle. And they were undermining everything he did. And then add salt in the wound, they were claiming they had truth. That they had divine revelations. That they had had a supernatural experience. Corinth, if you know anything about the Bible, Corinth was all eat up with the supernatural. I mean, that was what it's all about. And these false teachers were saying, we've had a supernatural experience that Paul hasn't had. So he felt like he had to share something. He didn't want to share it. If you look at the scripture, that's obvious. Boasting is necessary, he says. He didn't want to boast, uh, but he had to to defend who he was. And so he reveals the fact that about 14 years after, uh, before he wrote this, he had a grand, great experience with God. And in that experience, he was a new believer, by the way. In that experience, he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, let me try to break that down. Jews had anywhere from four to seven heavens, but, 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 but you know, the three is, is a large number. 
uh, for them. A lot of Jews believed in the three heaven concept. And basically that was this. The first heaven was the atmosphere. The, the second heaven was space, the galaxies and beyond. And the third heaven was the actual presence of God, where God lived. And, and Paul says, 14 years ago, I had this revelation. I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. I don't know if I physically was taken or if I, I was having a dream or a revelation in that sense. He goes, but I was caught up to the third heaven. And he says, I heard things. He didn't talk about what he saw. He says, I heard things that's not lawful for me even to repeat. So he was saying, I don't want to do this, but those, those false teachers are claiming to have all kinds of revelations. You need to know about the one that God gave me. And he wasn't trying to be boastful. He was trying to reassert his authority as an apostle. So after all that, we come into really the mo- middle of verse 7. And I don't only do that, but we're going to do it this morning. We're going to jump into the middle of verse 7, and Paul is going to teach us something that's very, very important. It's part of the price he paid for being a Christ follower. And surprisingly enough, it was allowed by God. Sometimes hard things are allowed by God. Here's what it says. The Bible says, therefore... Now, let me, let me go ahead and read... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read all the scripture and then come back. I don't normally do that either, but I want to get you the whole context. And starting in the middle of verse number 7, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside or abide in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and impressions because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, this is the time that we have set aside for the teaching and preaching of the word. And God, I am asking in Jesus' name for this scripture to come alive to us today. Father, I am asking the Holy Spirit to take control of the atmosphere of this place. We pray in no way will he be quenched, that he be released to speak to our hearts. Father, if there's someone here who's never trusted Christ, that today might be that day that they understand that they have sinned against the Holy God and they need rescuing. They need a Savior. But a chunk of these people, Lord, you know, belong to you. And the Apostle Paul wrestled with this and grappled with this, so sometimes do we. It made Paul a stronger believer in Christ. And I'm asking that through this teaching today, we would become stronger in you. So have your way, speak to hearts, release, Father, your power on us today to receive and apply your word. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen and amen. Now, if you look at verse number 7 again, again, that middle part, just a portion of verse 7, do you see something? It's like a sandwich. 
Notice Paul starts out by saying, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself. And the very last part of the verse, he says, A messenger was given to me, so I would not exalt myself. So we have Paul's concern and God's concern that Paul would not exalt himself. We have it at the very beginning, in the middle of the verse, and we have it in the end of that sentence. So we have given, so I would not exalt myself, so I would not exalt myself. What you need to write down is this. And this is so big, but it's not, it doesn't seem big, so we kind of gloss over it. Pride is a big deal. Pride is a big deal. Pride is a big deal to God, and pride should be a big deal to us. So big, in fact, that Paul mentions it twice. It was important, he said, that I do not be exalted. And then when he ended, he said, it's important that I don't be exalted. And by the way, grab this. Remember Paul the rock star? Apparently, this was some sort of weakness in him because God thought he was concerned enough about Paul and his pride to make sure it didn't occur. So be encouraged that even the apostle Paul apparently wrestled with this thing called pride. And I need to tell you the truth. So does your pastor. So does your pastor. Um, probably 12 years ago, a brother looked me in the eye one day and said, you've got pride. And boy, I pushed back from that. It offended me that he said that. I pushed back. I need to tell you something. He was right. Last year, I was my privilege to speak at the annual sermon at the Illinois Baptist State Association. And, and a sister came up to me and said... First, she said this. She said, you did good today. And, and of course, I'm going, yo, <laughs> yeah, we want to hear that. And here's the deal, though. Instantly, because she was not the kind of person who hands out accolades, instantly I'm saying, well, boy, if she said I did good, then, man, I must have done well. You know, I must have really done well. And then she said the next part. She said, you didn't talk about yourself. It's funny because... You know what? The truth is, I realized I have a propensity for that. I have a tendency. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, the last time Judy was in church, whenever that was, last year, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, last time she was here with us, I, I got home and I said, Judy, there was too much Dwayne in the message today. So I just want you to know something. It's one of those times I need to be transparent with you. This is something I realize I grapple with. I think probably every stage person, perhaps almost every musician, we wrestle with this issue of pride. And truth be known, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers do. It becomes, you know, you know it's prideful when, when it's your name more than his name. Um, when it's me and I and mine and not he and him and his. When, when your conversation is more about your name and his name and more personal pronouns about you than him. Boy, beware. Beware. Pride is dangerous because pride was what ultimately Satan threw up. He goes, I will ascend. I will be like God. I will, I will, I will. So it's a really big deal, and it can undermine who we are as believers. So Paul said it twice. There was this thing given to me so that I would not exalt myself. In fact, it was a thorn in the flesh. And there's been... There's been so much debate about what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. It went... I'm telling you what the commentaries say. Everywhere from he had a weakness for sexual temptation. Um, he, had, he had a personal demon. When, when one preacher said, you know, a message from Satan, that's literally what it means. He had a personal demon assigned to him that would torment him. Um, we don't know. I do know this. I like what Galatians says. You know, Paul said in Galatians in chapter 4, he says these words. 
And my trial, which is in my flesh, really leans that way, in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, hang on. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And later on in verse 6, he writes these words. Or chapter 6, he writes these words. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So I think that I'm tending to believe that this thorn in the flesh perhaps was a diminished eyesight, perhaps near blindness with Paul. We don't know, but we know this. He was given a thorn in the flesh, and he even knew the purpose of that thorn in the flesh was that he would not become prideful. Now, there's a couple of words there I think that are very important. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. Given to me. It's almost as if a gift. I'm, I know sometimes, you know, the big joke is around Mama's Day, you know, about the guy who gave his, his wife and the mother of his children a chainsaw. You know, because he wanted a chainsaw. That was, now, listen, guys, I'm not, very, I'm not a rocket scientist, but probably a chainsaw is not an appropriate gift for your wife when it comes time for Mother's Day. Just giving you a heads up. Unless. Unless you live in the wilderness. Unless your job takes you away from your family months at a time. Unless it falls to your wife's chief responsibility to cut wood. Then a chainsaw is very appropriate as a gift. Am I right? Am I right? Listen. We've got to understand something. Does God... Allow thorns in the flesh. He does. I didn't stop. He does. But here's the deal you got to grasp. If he allows something in your life, it is for his glory and your good. His glory and your good. Let me, let me read a scripture to you. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount. Which one of you, which one of you, if your son asks for bread... Will you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? And of course, again, logic would tell you that if your stone asks, if your son asks for bread, you're not going to hand him a rock. And if he asks for something to eat like fish, you're not going to hand him a snake. And here's what Jesus, and you need to write this down. Matthew chapter 7. Here's what it says. If you then, who are evil, and really more appropriately human, if you then who are human know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In other words, God gives good things. Now, I often say at funerals, when I use this scripture, sometimes life looks like a rock. And that's where you're going to have to learn, I'm going to have to learn to trust God. God is not in the rock business. God is not in the business of handing out stones. God is not in the business of handing out serpents. He is a loving Father, and He loves us. Sometimes it may look like a rock. Sometimes it may look like a serpent. But your God gives good gifts. In fact, in James in chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The world will tell you that God doesn't care, that, that God has spun the earth and took off, that God's angry at you, that God's disappointed at you, and therefore God is going to send rocks and God is going to send serpents and God's going to hurt you. God loves you. And yes, he probably even loves you enough to allow pain in your life. He did Paul. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Do you get the significance of that? That God allowed this in Paul's life and it was not a pleasant experience. But here's what we've got to understand and we don't get it, but we need to understand this. The thorn was less painful than pride. The thorn was less painful than the agent. The thorn was less painful than pride. You got that? You grab that? Why? You know where pride will take you? Pride will take you if you work. Pride will take you down a road where you think you can embezzle from your company and not get caught. Pride will lead you down a road, ma'am, where you think you deserve a lover on the side and it will destroy your marriage. Pride will lead you, students, pride will lead you down a road where you think you can do things like drugs and alcohol underage or overage, it doesn't matter. You can violate the law in those areas and you won't get caught because you are you. See, pride has a lot more pain than the thorn that God may bring into your life to keep pride squashed. Dare I say, dare I say, dare I say that pride is one of the most painful things and dangerous things that we can have in our lives. Think about this. Think about, tell you what, do. I'm going to give you permission. Go ahead and daydream a little bit. Don't go, don't go too far and too long, though. Watch it there now. Um, tell you what, do. Go back to a time. And think of the time when you, you said, I deserve this, and it led you down a very bad path. And relive how painful it was, how bad that path was. And that's the danger of pride. So, so God allows this, this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, whether it be his eyes or something else, he allows this to come so that Paul's pride would be kept in check. Again, God brings things in our life for his glory and for our ultimate good. And then we have this. In verse number 8, concerning this, concerning the thorn in the flesh, concerning the fact that he was being tormented, concerning the fact that in his mind, this was hindering the ministry. It wasn't helping the ministry. It was hindering the ministry. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. This is so powerful. Three times. He, he, have you ever agonized with God? Have you, I'm not talking about God bless this food. I mean, your heart was literally breaking. It could have been your illness, someone's illness, your kid's marriage, your marriage, and you agonized. That's the word. That Paul agonized with God. He, he got way beyond God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for this food. He agonized with God. Three times that, that he would take it away. 
And in verse number 9, there's that little word that often means so much. It's always so tempting to make a joke out of it. The word but. But. You could really easily, and you could see this, substitute that word but for no. You know, I would, I would loan you my car, but. I would do my homework, but. I would get to work on time, but. When that word but comes in, it changes everything. And it does in this case. Paul pleads with God three times. And instead of a yes, there's a no. I know it says but. But it's a no. It's a no. Listen. The little catchy saying, you've heard it, you know it, and it's true though. God says yes, God says no, and God says not now. That's a pretty good synopsis of the answers that we often get from God in prayer. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's not now. But we've got to understand that God is sovereign. That God is in control. That God is wise. That God is not in the business of hurting you. He's in the business of helping you. He's in the business of growing you to be more like Jesus Christ. He cares. And He loves. Sometimes the answer is no. You know, one of the most interesting stories in the Bible, and you write this reference down, we won't go there, I'll just tell you the story, is Acts chapter 12. It goes something like this. James. Now, this is not James who wrote James. This is not James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is James, the brother of John. James and John were part of the twelve. They were the sons of thunder. So Herod gets a hold of James and puts him in prison and then finds out something. That the Jews would be very happy if James died. So do you know what happens? James, who walked with Jesus for three years. James, one of the twelve. Herod kills him with the sword. Then, when Herod saw that went so well, he grabs Peter and puts him in jail and said, wow, if the Jews were happy that James died, they'll really get fired up if Peter dies. And the Bible teaches that they're having a prayer meeting. They're pleading for Peter's life. And God miraculously delivers Peter. The doors open. Peter walks out. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. Why? Why did James die by the sword? Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's not in the scripture, but let me tell you what I know. I know, I know. The same guys that were praying for Peter were praying for James. It wasn't that James was a second-class apostle. He was not. He was one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. So why did God not deliver James, but did deliver Peter? Because God's in business of glorifying his name and for our ultimate good. I promise you this. When Herod killed James by the sword, his life got a lot better. Come on now. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. James' world got a whole lot better when his last heartbeat came. 
But the bottom line is, in our, in our world that we cannot get around, our, we can't get around our arms around it, the bottom line is God said, for my glory and James' ultimate good, James will die and Peter will live. There was a no and there was a yes. And sometimes God does that. And notice this. Now, are you listening carefully? Are you listening carefully? Okay, all right. Because the Bible says, I pleaded with the Lord how many times? Three. I'm going to teach you something, but I want to make sure you get it in your mind right. In this case, in what case? In this case, Paul reached a point where he understood that this was God's answer. And how many times did he pray? Three times. Am I teaching we're to pray three times and quit? No. No. But there might come a time, whatever is on your prayer list, and I don't know what it is, but there's somewhere on your list, you may understand, wait a minute, I've got God's answer. And maybe time to move on your prayer. Be careful. Dwayne's not teaching three. But, God is te- but Dwayne is teaching discernment and wisdom in your prayer life. That when you sense in your spirit, God has given you his answer, then move on. Trusting God. Trusting God that he's more wise than we are. And he is better than we'll ever be. Amen? Powerful stuff. Don't miss this. This could radically change your prayer life. So, so Peter, I'm sorry, Paul pleads with the Lord three times, take it away. And God said no. And this is once again, excuse me, but I've got to do this. I am so grateful for a praise team that follows the leadership of God. You already have figured out how those songs just worked in with the scripture today. It's amazing. What we're fixing to read in verse 9 is so powerful. He says, no, or but, or no, he said to me, but my grace is sufficient for you. He says, Paul, no, because my grace is going to carry you through this. Again, you probably heard some preacher say this. Sometimes God delivers us from the storm. And sometimes God goes with us through the storm. Sometimes he delivers us from the storm. And sometimes he delivers us in the storm or goes in the storm with us. Don't lose sight of that truth. Sometimes, sometimes grace in the storm is more powerful than deliverance from the storm. Sometimes when God allows a storm in your life, but you look over your shoulder and there Jesus is. Can I have an amen? Amen. Sometimes when you're in the storm and you look around and you realize you're not by yourself, you're like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who looked over and saw the fourth man. Sometimes, sometimes his grace in the storm is more meaningful, more powerful, and much more of a deliverance than if the storm never happened. I mean, I think one of the big words in heaven is going to be, oh, I think I shared that last week. And the other one's, wow. Because we're going to realize what our life would have been if God delivered us from the storm versus him in the storm with us. My grace is sufficient for you. 
I will walk. I will walk with you. I'll tell you what, those 12 men, well, 11. <laughs> One didn't work out so well. The 11 were the men they were because Jesus walked with them, even through the storms. We're going to learn as we journey in life, as, as we more and more seriously take this Jesus thing that we call our relationship with God, this Jesus thing, we're going to understand something. That our greatest learning occurs when God's grace is sufficient in the midst of the storm. I told you something last week. Let me say it again. God does his best work at midnight. Well, God's grace and power are never stronger than when they are in the storm. We learn the power of God not when the sun is shining, but when the clouds come and the storms come. Now, he says this. After he says, my grace is sufficient for you, he says, for power is perfected in weakness. And I'm not sure why the Holman did this. I wish they had not, but they did. Because really, it is for my power is perfected in your weakness. God's power is best demonstrated in our weakness. God's power is best demonstrated in our weakness. We discover the power of God in our lives not when things are going well, but in the midst of the storms. Come on. How many times have you said, hey, thanks God for being there. I'll see you at the next crisis. It's kind of like the CEO Christmas, you know, Christians, church attenders, Christmas Easter only, CEO. God, I, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. See you next crisis. God doesn't want a crisis relationship with you. He wants a daily relationship with you. That's why, that's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Pray as you walk. God wants to walk with you every step of the way. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that good? I'm telling you this, you know, as, as, we, as we think and study and, and talk about the Word of God and our relationship with Him, He wants to be so intimate and so real. So intimate and so real. My power is best demonstrated in your weakness. So what is Paul's response? Look, look at verse number 9b, the second part of verse 9. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. Paul said then, and I'll say it again in a moment, Paul is saying that, well, listen, I'm going to be grateful then for my, weak, for my weaknesses. If, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about how I am weak and he is strong. Is that in a kid's song? They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Now, I read something in the commentary I thought was pretty stinking good. So, again, if you're a note taker, this is a writer down. Weakness is the great leveler. Weakness is the great leveler. You know, again, you know, if Donald Trump was on the news, oh, that's right, he is. If, <laughs> just about. If Donald Trump was on the news and he said, you know, my life is total wreck. Tell us, Donald, why is your life total a wreck? A wreck, you know, a mess. Well, because the engine of my car blew up. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. We would go, 
Get over it, Donald. You've got $8 zillion. Would it impact your life? Would you feel compelled to drop to your knees and pray for Donald and his broken engine? No. You'd say, dude, you ain't got a problem. Well, you know, sometimes, again, with Christians, we do the same thing. You know, they've got it all together. Again, they never get sick. They never lose their job. Their kids have straight teeth. They all make the dean list. Life is awesome. That's great. You all go, yay. (laughs) Except for when you're drowning. And you kind of go, why can't my life be like theirs? But then you meet somebody who goes, you know what? I'm struggling like you're struggling. And all of a sudden, there's an identity there. Let me tell you about weakness. Weakness will draw you closer to God and closer to people. Weakness will draw you closer to God and closer to people. There is a good side of weakness. We need God. Our prayer does become, God, help me. And all of a sudden, we identify with the person whose heart's breaking, Tracy. Because our heart's breaking too. So there's a power in weakness. I will, I will boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. Oh, this is an opportunity for me to sound smart. Because the word power there is dynamis. Dynamis is the Greek word. And I bet you can guess what word comes from dynamis. Dynamite. Explosive power. Do you see that same word in the first part of verse 9? My grace is sufficient for my dynamis is perfected in you. My explosive power is perfected in you. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's dynamis may abide in me. God's explosive power, when we're willing to say, I need you, God, God's power can explode in our lives. Someone say amen. Amen. Telling you. Guys, we need this. See, the the big fallacy of America is we've got the banks and we've got the Social Security and we've got jobs and we've got security. And the tendency is, who needs God? We do. I needed him 26 years, 25 years ago, 40 years ago when I met him on a Sunday morning. But I'm glad the rescue continues. We don't need a Savior one day in history. We need a Savior every single day. Day. And Paul says, and Paul said, listen, I'll boast about, listen, I'll boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may reside. Not once a year revival, not when a, whoo, a verse speaks to me, but day by day by day by day that Christ's dynamis, Christ's dynamite power may reside in me. And then verse 10. So I take pleasure. I take pleasure in weakness and insults and catastrophes and persecutions and pressures because of Christ. I am grateful. I am grateful for weaknesses, for insults, for catastrophes, for persecutions and pressures because of Christ. Not because they feel good, not because they're easy, because they don't feel good and they're not easy, they're hard. But because of Christ, I'll take pleasure. Because of Christ, I'll be thankful. The old story goes, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the old story goes of a woman who was dying of cancer, and her pastor went to see her, and the pastor said, What should I pray for you? 
He assumed it would be, heal me, take care of the cancer. Her response was, please don't let me waste the suffering. Don't let me waste the suffering. A true story. Thomas Epling. Thomas Epling, at age two, showed signs of leukemia. And by four, it was full-blown leukemia. It went into remission shortly after that and then came back at age seven. It was then that his family realized that his life, his childhood, would not be normal. He went into remission again and stayed in remission for several years. No sign of leukemia. He turned into an extraordinary young man. He wrote profound Christian poetry. He read every one of A.W. Tozer's books. It was incredible. He, he took the sat at age 13 and outscored his mom and dad at the high school level. And then at age 15, five inoperable tumors in his head. Of course, mom and dad went into a tailspin. tailspin. And one day, about a month before he was to die, his, wife, his mom, Amy, was by his bed and said, Thomas, how shall I pray for you? And he said, Mom, you're taking this tumor thing way too seriously. Let me tell you something, Mom. He said, when Jesus died for me on the cross, he did enough for me to thank him for all of my life. Don't worry about the tumors. And a month later, his life got a lot better. He went to heaven. He went to heaven. Yeah. And that's true. That's not a makeup story. That's not a preacher feel-good story. That's reality. When, when he was seven years old and going through those tests, you know what his comment was? The seven-year-old boy who discovered faith and grace said, I just don't want to disappoint God. I want to do well. He trusted his father. Paul said, I will take pleasure. I will be grateful for these weaknesses. What's your weakness? What area in your life do you particularly have to cry out for God to help? What about insults? When people, when people hurt you, are you able to say, God, thank you for those because I know you're making me stronger? Catastrophes? What disasters have happened in your life? Looking back, you now can say, God, I see what you're doing, and I can thank you for that. Father, what? For persecutions, pressures. Paul said, well, because of that. When I am weak, then I am strong. Someone once said, you're never taller than when you're on your knees in prayer. You are never stronger than when you're weak but empowered by God. You are never stronger than when you are weak but you are empowered by God. So what do we do? Now look, look at me. Hard times are coming. And now today is the day for you to determine what you are going to do when God says no. Would you please believe your pastor today? 
Would you believe the teacher today? God is faithful. God can be trusted. And God is good. He's not handing out rocks. He's not handing out serpents. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it painless. In fact, it will be painful. It will be hard. But there's coming a day. This is not all there is. There is coming a day when we will spend eternity, as Christ followers, we will spend eternity in a place called heaven. And this, in spite of this, it was Paul who wrote and said, listen, I have not seen, ear has not heard, nor can the mind of man conceive what God has in store for those who believe him, who trust him. Amen? Amen? So, my brothers and sisters, my friends, my brothers and sisters, I love you. I love you. And I want to tell you that God loves you too. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose sight. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, who for the joy of the set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But now he's set down at the right hand. Would you bow your heads, please? So where are you at today? Now, first, if you've never trusted Christ, and I know that's a churchy term, but the bottom line is, history states the fact that there was a man named Jesus. He lived like no other man. He died like no other man. And he got up on the third day to live again, never to die again. And we believe the scriptures clearly teach that all of us have sinned. That there's nothing we can do to eradicate that sin. But Jesus did. He died that we could have forgiveness of sin. And if we're willing to turn from our sin and follow him, not get religion, not get baptized, not become a Baptist, if we'll turn from our sins and follow Jesus, then we'll have a relationship with the creator God of the universe. We can call him Father. And if that's not ever happened in your life, and today's one of those days you just feel like God's pulling you and saying, this is what you've been looking for. This is why your life is not together, because you need me. Maybe you want to cry out, God, help me today in that way, willing to turn from your sin and follow Jesus. As Christ followers today, what are you going to do when God says no? What are you going to do when God says no. You'll have two choices. You can trust Him or not trust Him. You can have faith or not have faith. Your pastor will fail you and some of you go, that's right, Dwayne, you did. You failed me. Yeah, well, I've got clay feet. God doesn't. He's never failing. Doesn't lie. Doesn't fail. He's God. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. This is our decision time. Again, if you're interested in knowing about this man named Jesus Christ that we talked about today, I'll be standing down front. If, uh, if you want someone to pray with you, if perhaps God spoke to your heart about joining our fellowship. Perhaps you trusted Christ and you're ready to, to take that step of obedience called baptism. The altar's open. We've got some folks who will pray with you today. This is decision time. This is our decision time. What will you do with Jesus? Thank you, God, for your incredible word. Thank you for recording this for us, where we can be edified and built up. 
Thank for a man named Paul who didn't have it all together, who knew about pain and suffering, but he also was a man of great faith. Thank you for teaching that to us today. Have your way and your will in our hearts. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.